Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. a sweet little girl, and I have been all week expecting and waiting for sweet little girl to come, and she is yet to come. (laughs) Ten days past due, and it's to the point where our daughter now doesn't answer the phone. She posts things like this on Facebook. I want to show you a couple. (laughs) And then this one. I love this one. I don't even say hello anymore, right? Every call begins with, no baby yet. And then my favorite, yes, I'm still pregnant, but the baby's not here. But please keep on texting and calling every day. I hear that's supposed to induce labor, right? (laughs) Everybody's telling her, this is what you need to do so that baby comes. And all of us, this is grandbaby number eight for us, all of us are waiting with great anticipation as she comes. This week, she will either come because nature says it's time, or the doctor induces, or there's a C-section, but little baby is coming, (laughs) right? And so we have this great anticipation for the coming of this beautiful child. In the same way, God waits with great anticipation for new children to be born in his name. And as we're going to look at scripture today, we're going to talk about this idea of being a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, it's my prayer, my hope, my anticipation, God's anticipation that today you would say yes to Jesus and thus become a child of God. I believe a baby is going to be born today in Jesus' name, right? So I want to pray for us because only God can do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. And as we, as a family, look forward to this sweet little girl to come and be born, in the same way, Father, we as your children, your family, your servants, we wait with you with great anticipation at the birth of every person who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, some of us were already reborn. Others are still waiting to be born. And so, Father, we dedicate this time to you. As we look into your word and experience your presence and your truth is spoken deep into our hearts, I pray, O oh God, that you do what only you can do. Holy Spirit, in this place, give birth, give birth to another child, to more children into the kingdom of God. And we pray these things trusting in your faithfulness and goodness, which we just sang over our hearts today. You never let us down. You never let us down. And we stand in that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been studying the book of Romans. Uh, as we've said, this is, we've termed it the best chapter ever, chapter eight of Romans. And, you know, the way I look at it is uh, whatever I'm studying is my favorite. Anybody with me? Like, whatever I'm reading, that's my favorite. That's the best because everything about God's word is powerful and truth. And last week we talked about how there are two types of people, Paul said those who are led by the Spirit, 
and those who are led by the flesh, the flesh being the material, the earthly world, that those who are led by things of this world are led one way, whereas those who are led by the Spirit are led differently. The flesh, Paul says, leads us to death. And we know this. We see this in the reality of our living, of our world, that the things of this world on their own lead us towards death. But the Spirit leads us to life and to peace. And Paul now is going to take it into another step further. He tells us this in verse 14. All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. And I think we can read this, especially if you have been a believer for a long time, and maybe miss the magnitude of these words. And so we're going to dive into these. And I think I have about a three-hour sermon, so I hope you have you had good breakfast. Because there's so much richness in just these two passages, and it pulls from all over the Bible. And so, yeah, I'm not going to bore you with all of that, but I pray that as we look at this, we are reawakened to the wonder of this truth. When he says, all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Girls, don't get upset. When it says sons, it means sons and daughters. It's all of us. All of us who are being led by the Spirit are His children. And that is truly remarkable. It's one of the most beautiful, richest passages in scriptures that tells us that. And we need that. In fact, it is a promise of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters to me. This is what God Almighty says about you and I when we believe and trust in Jesus. You know, the need for a father is ingrained in every single one of us. Fathers are essential, right? to our livelihood. They they give us a sense of security. We look to our fathers for a sense of identity and security. And when we don't have a father or when our father fails us in some way, we're even more keenly aware of the hole that's left in our heart when we don't have a father. And even if you have a great father, you probably too also know what an incredible impact a father makes in a person's life. Our culture captures this picture of the need for fatherhood in, in the popular songs that they sing, and I'm going to quote from a few of them. These are people that have to be edited when we quote them but because of some of the words in their songs. But what happens with these artists as they are singing their songs is they're leaking out. Their heart is leaking out that desire for a father. So let me just uh, show you a few of them. This is Eminem who says, One thing I never asked was where my deadbeat dad was. I guess he had trouble keeping up with my every address, but I'd rather flip every mattress, every rock, every desert cactus, own a collection of maps, and follow my kids to the edge of the atlas. I would do it differently if I were this father. And then this one from um, Everclear. Father of mine, take me back to the day when I was still in your golden boy, back before you went away. Then he walked away. Daddy gave me a name. Then he walked away. And then this last one from John Lennon. Father, you left me, but I never left you. I needed you, but you didn't need me. There is a deep desire in our hearts for our fathers, for what our fathers represent for us. And what I love about what we're going to learn today is that the one who lit up a son who established the earth, who fixed its boundaries, who told the ocean waves where to stop, the one who set the moon in place so that our nights could be lit, 
The one who designed our bodies knows every intricate part of our bodies, every system and how it works. The one who holds all things together, who stretched out the heavens, as scripture says, and now still holds it in, in concept so that it would remain. The one who gives us our very breath, that one, the one who puts wisdom in us, the one who gives us the knowledge of him, the one who gives us a desire for him, that one says, I am your father. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that ought to cause us to say, amen, preach it, come on. Come on, sister. It ought to give us that sense. That he calls us his children, and he does this through the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, here's the bad news. Not everyone is a child of God. And that ought to pain you. You, must, you at least ought to be a little upset with me that I just said that. Because doesn't that seem wrong? Not everyone is a child of God. In Scripture, we're told that God created every single one of us that he created us in his image and that he cares for every single one of us and that he wants us to be his children. He wants that. He wants every single person to be his child. But it tells us clearly in scripture over and over and over again, only those who are led by the spirit are called children of God. We become his child when we put our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. When we put our lives in faith in him, that's when we become his children. It's not by birthright. It's not simply because we were created. God actually chooses to adopt us as his children. It's a choice that God makes. And it's also one that we must accept. Paul says this in verse 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, you received a spirit of adoption. Now, this is something that only Paul says. It's Paul that makes a big deal about this concept of adoptions. And it, the point that he's trying to make is to remind the church in Rome that God took women and men that were both Jewish and Gentile, and he chose to create a new family, a new nation, a new people group. And it included all kinds of people. It's so important to take this passage in context with all of Romans. And probably the best way to do that is to go to the back of the letter and see all the people that, Jesus, that Paul mentions, to see that there are people there who are Greek, who are Romans, who are rich, who are poor, people who are of, of Masters, people who are slaves, God says, this is my new family. I have adopted a new family. These are the children of God. You're not born a child of God. You are adopted as a child of God. It's a choice that God makes. And we should not live in fear as the rest of the world does. I was just sitting with my daughters yesterday for lunch, and my youngest one was saying, Mom, it seems to me like everyone is deathly afraid of death. People seem to be so obsessed with death. And I said, yes, they are. They fear death. They fear life. They fear what may happen tomorrow. And frankly, we may not hear fear being talked about or even this being talked about, but it leaks out in culture in the way that we are addicted to all kinds of things, right? Whether it's sex or substances or the internet or pornography or, or simply even work. 
whether the amount of depression and anxiety and suicides that are happening in the world, there is indeed a great deal of fear. And Paul says, we don't live in that fear anymore. I said, honey, that's not a fear you hold because you know you have been chosen as a child of God. And as such, you should not fear death, for death is not the end. Scripture says, where, O death, is your sting, right? Death has no power over us. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that comes from God, that we might understand what he has freely given us. He has given us adoption, adoption. In 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, Instead of a fear of timidity, we have been given the Holy Spirit that gives us power and discipline, and we experience God's love, his strength for us. And it's for everyone that would accept Jesus, for everyone. Not, not, not for some, for everyone who would accept Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know my voice. And he says, and there are others that I also will bring into my sheepfold. In other words, there are still those who are not yet children of God, but God is pursuing them and he is bringing them into the family of Christ. And so that might be you. You might be sitting here today. You are not yet trusting in Jesus, but God is saying, I am pursuing you that you might become my child, that I might adopt you into my family. And that's what God does. Instead of a spirit of fear, we have received a spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption. This word, which in Hebrew, a little hard to pronounce, huiothesia, it's only used five times in the Bible, all of them by Paul. Three times in the book of Romans, two in chapter eight, once in Galatians, once in Ephesians, Every single time Paul is pointing out this reality, this truth, God chooses to adopt us the way a family would adopt a child, taking them into the family, making them part of their home. And Paul is pointing to this idea of adoption, which in the Roman world, remember, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. They would have had adoption. They would have understood adoption much like you and I understand it today. We know how adoption works. And truly, do we not agree that adoption is beautiful? Because you take a child who has lost their parents, who is maybe going from foster home to foster home, feeling lost, feeling afraid, feeling displaced, and it is brought into a home where that child will be loved and cared for and provided for and supported and strengthened and equipped. It's beautiful. Adoption is beautiful. And that's what God does for you, for me. In the Old Testament, we have these beautiful pictures of God's adoption process. He begins by adopting the people of Israel. It says in Deuteronomy that God says to his people, I have chosen you. I am the one who chosen you as my possession, he says. Not because you were great. In fact, you are the smallest of all groups of people. But I've chosen you, the fewest of all peoples, because I love you. I want to, for you to be my people. I want to be your God. That's what God does. And adoption is incredible in all the privileges that it brings. In the Old Testament, there are pictures of adoption, not just God adopting the people of Israel, but look at these pictures of adoption. One, Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, we read that Moses, a little child destined to death, was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter as his, her own, as her child. It says in Scripture, in Exodus 2.10, he became her son, not by birth, 
but by her choice. In Esther, it says that Esther had no father or mother because her parents had died. And Mordecai takes Esther in, and he takes her in as his own daughter, completely changing the, the legal status of this child from orphan to a child in a family, adopted into a family. And then a wonderful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, when David adopts this young man called Mephibosheth, who was a, a man who had been injured as a child, who was not able to walk. His legs had been damaged by a great fall. David decides and chooses to show kindness to Mephibosheth by bringing him into his home. And David says, you will eat at my table all the days. And he gives back to Mephibosheth all of the, all of the, uh, all of the things that his father had. He gives him servants. He gives him his land. He blesses him with all that he needs. That's the beauty of adoption. That's the beauty and a picture of God's love for you and for me when he adopts us as his children. It is a merciful act. It is a blessed act. And it changes us. It changes who we are. In Ephesians 1, Paul wrote this. He, meaning the Father, he predestined us. In other words, he desires that we would be adopted, it says, as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You know why God does this? Because it gives him pleasure. It brings him joy when he chooses to adopt us as his children. He doesn't do it out of duty. He doesn't do it out of guilt. He doesn't do it because you and I are awesome and fabulous as much as we might think we are. He doesn't do it because we deserve to be adopted. He does it simply out of his kindness and his pleasure out of the goodness of his heart. The night question to you is, do you have trouble accepting this truth? Is it hard for you to imagine that God would want to adopt you as his daughter, as his son? Do you think, I remember as I did for so long, that I was damaged goods. I made a mess. Why would God want to adopt someone like me? And if you're involved at all with the adoption process, and you get to meet children, especially those who are now in their teenage years, you will hear them say things like this. I, I, I don't deserve to be adopted. I, I, I'm too much of a mess. I've gone from house to house to house. I don't deserve to be loved. And they start to believe that about themselves. Is that you? Do you believe that? Listen, I pray that today you'll be reminded, no, God, out of his pleasure, out of his love for you, wants to adopt you as his child as his beloved, beloved child. And then Paul tells us that it's the spirit that assures us of this truth. So that is a truth, Paul says, but it's the Holy Spirit that reminds you and tells you that you are a child of God. Because I know there are probably times when you might feel like, well, I'm not behaving like the child of God. I'm not living it out per se. Or, or maybe I... I forget that truth because I, I think if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've heard this taught a lot, you're like, yeah, I know, I got that. But, you know, today I pray that you are reminded by the Spirit how remarkable this truth is. And, and before we read that passage, I want to show you a cute little video that I found online. And it's of a little girl who finds out that she is going to be adopted. My prayer as you watch this 
is that you will be reminded, if you already are a child of God because you follow Jesus and you trust him as your Lord and Savior, I pray that as you watch this, you are reminded of the remarkable nature of this incredible gift that he gives us of adoption. Take this out. All right, well, there's one more gift. We have one more it's gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up? I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted. <laughs> I love this. These parents, they didn't have to adopt this little girl. They chose to adopt her. They chose to give her this gift. There was nothing she could do to earn such an incredible gift. And you can see how it overwhelmed her heart. It should overwhelm ours when the Spirit, Paul says, testifies in our spirit that we are adopted. In verse 17, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, that we are adopted into his family. And that word in Greek, sumartureo, means to witness to another, to testify with. The Spirit testifies to our spirit. You are a child of God. You belong to God. And this is not just for Jews and Gentiles, meaning Jews and non-Jews. It's not just for people who have a lot and people who have a little. It's for men and women. It's for a privilege, for the marginalized, for the broken, for the people who look like they have it all together. It's for every one of us. It's a gift from God, a choice that God has made for us. Do you think this way? Do you think sometimes you are not adoptable? I want to just pause by a moment to tell you, yes, you are, because God is the one who chooses that. It's God who chooses. And then in John chapter 1, this is the, the most beautiful language that you see about this idea of adoption. Let's, I want us to read this together. He says, to all who did receive him, he gave them to write to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Anyone want to say amen right at this point? Right? Amen. Amen just means that is true. That is good. That is a fact. I am grateful for that. I am grateful for that. Then he talks about this idea that by the Spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I want to go back to that for a moment because this picture of calling God Abba would have been a shock to those who heard him. Already in Scripture, we told that Jesus spoke about 
his father, the creator, all the time in terms of father. And that was language that was not used by the Jews. In fact, those who, uh, Israelites who would uh, talk about God would never use his proper name because it was, to them it was too holy. God was too far up there. You don't use a, a re- relational term to talk about God. He is, he is magnificent and sovereign and holy. And so you don't mention his name. And Jesus would go around talking to him as a father. And he brought this very relational posture towards God. And, you know, I'm thinking about... Um, some of my br- brothers and sisters who are not believers. I, I have friends who are from a Muslim faith, from um, Buddhist faith. Uh, I have a friend who is very new age and it's into the nature and all. I have friends from all different backgrounds. And I'll tell you one thing that I notice about them. In one way, they seem to have more reverence towards God than some of us Christians do. Isn't that true? It seems to me that in one way, they actually understand that God is indeed sovereign and powerful and mighty. And some of them might even believe that there's no way God could become human because he is that big, that awesome. And I feel like we have to recapture that truth while at the same time holding that, also holding on to this incredible incredible truth that we can call him father, that we can have this intimate relationship. That, that Those two things are hard to hold in tension, aren't they? It's easy for us to think God is sovereign and powerful and mighty. It's maybe easy for us to think as father, but can we think of him as both? And that we can cry out to this mighty God, sovereign, worthy of our praise and our worship, worthy of us getting down on our knees, worthy of us humbling ourselves, while at the same time being able to cry out by the Spirit, Abba, Father, a beautiful word in Aramaic meaning daddy. Jesus used that word once. It was shocking to people. Paul used this twice, once right here in this passage, reminding us the Spirit assures us that we are his children, and therefore we can call out to him like a loving, kind, closed daddy. We can call him in that way. He assures us in that way. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our brokenness. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows the gifts that he's given us. And we can draw close to him with reverence, yes, but also with a sweet relational closeness that happens from a father to a child. And that is something that's hard to hold in our minds, but it is a fact of Scripture. And then it says that he appoints us So he brings us into uh, his fold as his children. He reminds us that that is a fact. He assures us every time we forget that we shouldn't, but he also appoints us. Look what it says in Romans 17. And if we're children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Adoption into the family of God gives us access to the inheritance that belongs only to Jesus. He tells us that we are now, we are now heirs. Like Paul is writing here saying, you are a child, you're adopted. But listen, that's not even enough language. I got to give you something even bigger for you to understand who you are in Christ. You are heirs, co-heirs in Christ. Legally, basically, inheriting all the same things that Jesus himself inherits. In other words, having the same access to the glory that Jesus had. There's no more of dramatic representation of who we are in Christ than this word, heirs. 
In fact, in John 17, we see what we are receiving because we are a child of God. This is Jesus praying for us, praying for you. Just before he went to the cross, he told the Father, I have given them the glory you have given me. I have chosen to give them that which I am the only one who deserves. I've chosen to give it to them so that we might be one as you and I are one, Jesus said. A little bit later in John 17, verse 24, he says, I want those who have, you have given to me to be with us wherever we go that they might see my glory. So our inheritance is the ability not only to see the glory of Jesus Christ, but to actually experience that glory with them. And what a glory that is. We're told that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, receiving glory for having and being willing to pay for the sins of every man, woman, and child, past, present, future in this world. And he is given glory by the Father. Do we deserve such a glory? Do we? No. But he chooses, he chooses to give us that glory, to bless us abundantly by giving us the same inheritance. Remarkable. I'm serious. By now, you need to be standing up going, amen, sister, preach it. Come on. I don't want to be the one really pressing you to this. I'm just thinking the Holy Spirit has to be talking to your heart going, do you not realize how remarkable this is? How quickly we can read these verses in Roman and like gloss over them and not be moved to tears about what God is saying about us. It's remarkable that he would do this for us. And Titus, listen to what Paul writes to uh, Titus. He says, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, in other words, having been made right with God, forgiven for our sins, we might become heirs with the hope of eternal life. It is a gift of God. It is a great inheritance that we have in store for us. And you know, I would love to end right there and just leave it in this really good, happy note and move on. But you know, Paul doesn't end there, does he? He goes on to say this. He says, yes, we are heirs if indeed we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified in him. Mm, how many of us like that one? <laughs> we must remember that with the blessings that come with being a child of God comes the reality of some suffering. And the suffering that we might experience <clears throat> might be difficult for us to, especially when we're considering saying yes to Jesus, it might be the very reason we go, oh, yeah, never mind. I thought it was a good idea until now. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus chose to go to the cross. We're told in Hebrews, by the, by the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He saw ahead to the glory that would be his. It was absolutely 100% worth all the pain, all the sorrow he experienced. And is that the same for us? Today, I have friends, you, you've been here, you've heard perhaps David from Elam come and speak to us about the people in, in Iran who are experiencing a revival, hearing about Jesus, learning really who he is, accepting him as his Lord and Savior. And when they get baptized, I've actually been there when they baptize them, and this is what they say. Do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God in the flesh who came to forgive you for your sins? And they say, yes. 
Do you want to follow him all the days of your life and, and let him transform you into his image day by day? Yes. Are you willing to die for him? Because they will be persecuted. And they say yes. And when they go down into that water, they're going down in tears. They know. I remember having conversations with some of them saying, I know that when I go back home, because they do this in Turkey, where it's safe to do this, and they go back home, they know they could experience persecution because of their faith. This happens in China. This happens in other parts of the world. It's not just in Iran and in Afghanistan. And frankly, we experience some level of persecution here too. It's not the same, granted. But maybe for you, you may have experienced some level of persecution. Friends who be like, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, I want nothing with that. Or, you know, don't talk to me about your God. Or you might experience at work someone wanting to do something that you know it's unethical and your Christian values, you feel like, I can't do that. And because of that, maybe you were left behind from an opportunity, from a job, from a promotion. Maybe you lost your job. We know that there are still things we suffer here because of our faith. And what Paul is saying, if we are willing to suffer the way Jesus suffered, are we willing to be as loving and generous as Jesus was? And Paul himself, he did not shrink from that. He says, I'm in. And Paul writes about all the suffering he went through. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was thrown out practically close to death. But he said, all that was worth it. He said, I consider everything I had before dung, meaning poop, worthless. Because the glory that has been set before me is so much more worth it. Listen, I, I love, love hanging out with my grandchildren and taking care of them. And soon I'll have one more. And one of the things that come with babysitting your grandchildren is diapers. In fact, our daughter already gave me a bucket of diapers and all the wipes and everything. It's like, okay, keep this at home because when you babysit her, you'll be ready to change diapers. Some diapers are easier to change than others, Right? And with the joy of being with my sweet grandchild comes the hard work of changing that poopy diaper, which for some people is the worst, most disgusting job, and they're like, <laughs> trying to do it. But you know, I know this is a very simple illustration, but I'm making the point that I can, for, I can pass that, I can deal with that. It's so small in comparison to the joy of being with my grandchildren. And as small as that illustration is, listen, that's essentially what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying. There's something greater in store for us, whatever we might suffer in this time, people who might misunderstand us, who might mistreat us because we've given our life to Jesus. All of that is nothing and it's small in comparison to the glory that we will experience in Jesus Christ for eternity. Do I hear an amen now? And therefore, today, as we close, I think we have to be willing to ask God to adopt us. If you've never asked him to adopt, if you've never said, I want to be your child, God. If you're here and you're like, I've never said that. I've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ to be a child of God. I want to give you that chance. And, and, and to give you sort of an inspiration for it, this is uh, another set of videos online about people who have asked a father figure to adopt them. These are children maybe asking a step-parent, to adopt them by giving them the papers and having the parents sign it. Our, our daughter, Christina, the one who's about to have a baby, she adopted uh, Hannah, who is now 16 years old and about to drive. <laughs> but when she asked Hannah a few years ago if, if she wanted to be adopted, you know what Hannah's response to her was? 
about time you asked me. She had been waiting all this time. She's been with Christina since she was five years old. And she wanted to be adopted. Some children are not willing to ask. They're afraid to ask. Others are willing to ask. I pray that you are willing to ask today. And so I hope this video encourages you. Check this out. I'm so grateful to be able to call you dad. Um, you're probably wondering what this letter is for. <laughs> Adoption papers. We're going to adopt Julia. <laughs> really? Oh, God. Well, read it to us then. Wow, it's. Oh, it's, um, it's a petition for adoption. Your Heavenly Father, we just as joyfully say yes to you if you ask him to adopt you today. The same joy those fathers said, absolutely, he would do that for me. So I just want to give you a moment. If you, if you want to say, Daddy, adopt me, Abba, adopt me. That's how you do it. You get up and you say, I believe. I believe. And we, as children of God, we celebrate with you that you are part of our family. We may have differences. We may not know each other. But listen, we are now forever connected through Jesus Christ. So I just want to pause and just give you a chance to say, I believe. I want to stand, declare it with us so we may celebrate with you this day when you became a child of God. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.